You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Welcome into Socks in the Basement. My name is Chris. Dave is off this week, so there won't be as much yelling and screaming. Although I might I might have a little bit of it. I want to touch on a few things in this 30 minutes of good that is for fans, by fans, and all White Sox, whether or not Paul Canerco is a Hall of Famer. And are you a bad fan for wanting him to be a Hall of Famer if he isn't? The Rule 5 draft comes up in December, but the date that this show comes out is also the deadline for teams to put players on their 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. The White Sox have seven spots open. We are going to take a look at the Sox and which seven guys they will protect, if any. Will they protect just four of them? There's going to be things that are going to happen. We'll talk a little bit about that. We've got your phone calls, and I love the fact that people call in each and every week. at 708-459-8406, 708-459-8406. You can call anytime, 24-7, 365 days a year, and just leave a message. There is an international player that we're going to talk about the possibility of signing and whether or not he fits with the team. That's a lot to squeeze into 30 minutes. And before I get into any of it, I want to talk about the curious case of Phil Rogers. Phil Rogers is one of those old school journalists. And when I say old school journalist, it means he writes for a newspaper. You write for a newspaper, you're on a mainstream radio station. You're probably more on the old school side of things. And trust me, I've been on the old school side of things in the old school when it was like the only way you could talk to people. And now I'm starting to see, again, another example of a mainstream guy taking shots at guys that may not be 100% mainstream. A few days back, the MVP votes came out, and all the writers reveal who they voted for. And a Chicago writer who has a podcast, who's not on one of those mainstream things, although I think The Athletic is getting more and more mainstream, and that's good for them. That's probably what they want to be puts out that Yohan Moncada was his 10th place pick in MVP voting. And I have no problem with that. Moncada had a great year. He's on the cusp of being even greater. And when you look at the guys who are at the bottom of most people's list, you can make the argument that he was better than them. There should be nothing wrong with a guy making that pick. But the old school guy takes the opportunity to go after the new school guy by sending out a tweet just basically eviscerating him. An MVP vote, this is the tweet, the MVP vote for Yohan Moncada from a member of a Chicago chapter, everybody knows who he's talking about, reminds me of a 2006 MVP voting when a Dallas voter threw a 10th place vote to Michael Young and a Chicago voter threw one to A.J. Pierzynski because why not, I guess. He then went on to retweet a John Heyman tweet in which he went after people who are, I'm just going to paraphrase, not taking things seriously by putting these guys at the bottom. If you have a vote, vote forever you want to. And why does it bother these guys? Why why are John Heyman and Phil Rogers taking these shots? Because John Heyman and Phil Rogers don't like the idea that there's other people that can talk about baseball now 
without having to go through the old school way of doing it. They didn't intern for 20 years, getting somebody coffee, take their lumps the way they took their lumps and, and earn their spot into a club now where you basically get membership for life. There are plenty of guys on the radio don't really belong on there anymore. We all know who they are. There are plenty of guys that are writing articles don't really belong in the mainstream right now. We all know who they are. They're the same guys that have like 40,000 followers and two people like their tweets. It's because they're all bought. We all know that. It'd be best for guys like this to just be quiet. I, I, you look stupid when you're going after young writers, when you're going after people that are doing new media like podcasts. It's the same thing like when I walked through Kitty O'Shea's and members of the corporate podcast felt the need while I'm just walking to get a beer with the guys from the 108. And I went around to go get a beer from the bar and I'm walking back and I see my socks in the basement had, had to throw some shade at me as I walk by. And we have to have a discussion, me and them. Four guys on one because they want to pick on the new podcast. People don't like it when other people get a chance to talk who they don't think deserve that chance. You know, I never really had an opinion on Phil Rogers. I have a very low opinion of him now. He put out another tweet recently that brings me to my next subject, and it was about Paul Canerco. Paul Canerco's on the Hall of Fame ballot. So's Adam Dunn. <laughs> I almost threw up in my mouth when I saw Adam Dunn on the ballot. So, of course, Phil writes that essentially Paul should be in there. And some White Sox fans, because they're still hot at Phil and angry with him, about what he had said earlier in the week, those people now want to go after Phil again. So let's, let's think about this. First, his tweet is wrong. I don't know if he's wrong about Canerco getting into the Hall of Fame. That could be up for debate, but his tweet is wrong because his comparison is way off. He retweets somebody else's tweet about Paul Canerco and talking about how he had a low war. Phil goes, war... Loves complete players, not great hitters, and Canerco was the absolute best at the plate. A presence that multiplied his contributions. He's a lot like Edgar Martinez. All right, Phil. I'm starting to feel like before you say things, you should maybe, I don't know, look up the players. Baseball reference is amazing. It's on Google. It's a search engine. Check it out. I punched in Paul Canerco, Edgar Martinez, and last year's White Sox Hall of Fame entry, Harold Baines. And I brought them all up side by side. First of all, Paul Canerco is not Edgar Martinez. Paul Canerco never led baseball at any point in his career in any major statistic at all. Monster at the plate comparable to Edgar Martinez? He's not. And I love Paulie. I've got four pictures of Paulie in multiple moments in his career up on my wall here in my basement bar. I've got a plaque that outlines all of his major accomplishments. I still have my sign from Paul Canerco Day that I held up proudly and saved. I love Paul Canerco. He's one of the greatest moments in White Sox history. He hit a grand slam to put the Sox ahead in game two of the World Series. When back then you felt like not only were you never going to win a World Series, but you probably didn't deserve a World Series and something bad was going to happen and here come the Astros and they're going to tie this thing and we're going back to Houston. And nothing was going well in that game. Everything had gone to hell in that game. You come back from commercial and Qualls is already in the middle of his windup and he's hitting it out. And I'm, I'm, I'm on my knees, like staring at the television. Like I, I remember muttering to myself, Dave was jumping around, hugging some other guy in my apartment at the time. We were in Beverly. I had just gotten married and he's just jumping around. The other guy's jumping around the whole apartment complex that I was at. At like 103rd and Wood, there's this giant apartment complex. The place is rocking. 
everybody in their individual apartments. I'm just staring down at the ground and I keep muttering myself like this doesn't happen to me. This doesn't happen to my team. I get chills talking about it right now. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't compare him to Edgar Martinez. Don't compare Paul Canerco to Edgar Martinez. He doesn't belong in the same conversation. Martinez led all of baseball in batting average and his own league in batting average in two separate years. Martinez led all of baseball in OPS and OPS+. plus. Martinez several times led all of baseball in on-base percentage, led all of baseball in doubles, led all of baseball in runs scored, led his league in RBIs. And these are in all different years. When he was 37 years old, he was still standing out there and he had 145 RBIs and over 1,000 OPS. In fact, he was over 1,000 OPS five different times and just fell short in the middle of those five times to make it a sixth time. The man was in the MVP vote up at the top of it multiple times in his career and an all-star many more times than Canerco was. Then you can get to the war thing and just put their war numbers up against each other, their wins above replacement. There are many years that Paul Canerco, right in the heart of his career, is a replacement level player according to war. The only thing Paul Canerco ever led the league in he led all of baseball in grounding into double plays in 2003. I love Paulie. Paulie had some great years. He never had an OPS over 1,000. When he was 37 years old, he had 244. He didn't have the staying power that Edgar Martinez has. Please don't do this. When you say stuff like that, you sound stupid. Look, if you're a White Sox fan and you want to root for Paul Canerco to be in the Hall of Fame, I'm all for it. Go ahead and compare him to Harold Baines who got in. Now, I think Baines is still a little better. But it's close. You look at their OPS over their entire career, Paul's a little bit better. You look at the RBIs, well, Harold's got about 200 more. I know people don't like RBI. Let's look at home runs. Paulie's got 439 in his career. Harold's only got 384. Harold was a 38.7 war. Paul Canerco's 27.7. Here's the problem, though, with the argument. Remember all the backlash nationally when Harold Baines got in? Multiply it by, like, a hundred if Paul Canerco got in. I root for Paul Canerco to make it into the Hall of Fame. I think there's a better case for Mark Burley coming up. I would love to see Paulie in the Hall of Fame. He's in my personal Hall of Fame. And if he makes it, I'm going to be pumped. But please, if you're going to have the argument, understand the comparisons. A neighborhood bar, a Southside tradition, your home base for Sox viewing parties. Cork and Carry at the Park, 3258 South Princeton Avenue, where they have an incredible menu that includes award-winning burgers, Chicago favorites, wings, beef, pulled pork, mac and cheese, salads, wraps, nachos, and an incredible environment. When I'm getting a drink pre-game or post-game, it's over at Cork and Carry at the Park. And in case you didn't know, you can rent the entire bar out for events. That applies not only to Cork and Carry at the Park, but you can also book parties this holiday season at the original Cork and Carry in Beverly. Go to corkandcarryatthepark.com or corkandcarrybeverly.com for more details. Cork and Carry at the Park, at the corner of 33rd and Princeton, right near the park. We'll see you there. Guys, Pete from Chicago again. I heard you play my 
voicemail from last week, and I just wanted to follow up with something. In order to pay the SOC suck tax, a perfect model that the SOC should be not using is what the Washington Nationals did with Jason Worth a few years ago. They used that to basically announce that they were open for business. Uh, and with the recent uh, Rick Hahn comments about changing the eye level, that's what they need to do. That's the point. They need to overpay. Jason Worth was an overpay, but it led to other opportunities down the road. That is exactly what the Sox need to do. Love the show. Have a great day. Bye. Hello, Sox in the basement. This is John from Tennessee, and I just want to say you guys are awesome. Your podcasts are very entertaining. Keep up the good work. Now, on to my off-season game plan. As we know, the White Sox should be spending and making big money, big moves this off-season. So I would start off with a three-team trade involving the Red Sox and Cubs. In this hypothetical trade, the White Sox would acquire Mookie Betts and Kyle Schwarber. In exchange, the Red Sox would receive Michael Kopech and Nate Magical. The Cubs would acquire Yuri Garcia, David Price, a prospect from Boston, and Cash. Now, I don't know the logistics of the trade as far as how the funds are being moved around, but it seems that this should benefit all parties involved. Next, I would hit the free agent market and sign Didi Gregorius, Zach Wheeler, Dallas Keiko, Dylan Betances, and Drew Pomeranz. This almost assures Jomer Sanchez is back in White Sox uniform in a utility role. So, in conclusion, our 2020 White Sox would look something like this. McCann Collins behind the plate, Abreu at first, Didi at second, Mancada at third, Anderson at short followed by Jimenez, Roberts, Betts, and Schwarber at DH. The rotation would be Giolito, Keiko, Wheeler, Seas, Lopez. And with the additions of the chances and Pomeranz, it solidifies the back end of the bullpen. Well, uh, thanks for hearing me out, and uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Now, the first call we heard makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I understood that when he called in last week. That that's kind of what I saw as the sock suck tax. And you might have to go out and get a guy and overpay for him. We're all going to hate it, but you might have to do it. Second call is really interesting because I know it ticked off like more than half the people listening to this show because the idea of moving on from Kopech and Madrigal when we've been waiting so long would just anger them. The idea of getting bets on a one-year deal just angers them. I wouldn't make those moves. I'm going to say that right off the bat. I don't want Mookie Betts on a one-year deal. I don't think Kyle Schwarber is as good as people think Kyle Schwarber is. But I will say this. Like, it'd be a, you're going to the postseason. You would expect to go to the postseason with that plan. But I don't think the White Sox do it because of the idea of sustained goodness and control over players and the money aspect of things. I don't think there's any chance of that plan happening. If you're your own GM, you could sit there and say, I'm going to do this. And when it fails, then I'll cover it with money. But the White Sox are never going to cover that with the money that they would need to because inevitably something on that would not work out. One or two of those players would not work out. You probably come close but don't win anything big. And then the next year you've got to make some adjustments and you're in the middle of trying to bid with everybody else for Mookie Betts and you better be ready to pay. And I just don't think the White Sox operate that way. But I like the idea. It's pretty cool. Remember, you can give us a call anytime, 708-459-8406. Really interesting thing that came out this week, and then I want to get into the Rule 5 stuff. Japanese player, whose name I am going to butcher, Yoshitomo Sutsugo, 
and I probably completely kill that. He's from Japan. He's 27 years old, and he is being posted by his Japanese professional baseball team. First off, people are going to ask questions about this whole posting process, so let's just talk about it real quick because I had to look it all up. Because the first thing that somebody reached out and asked me was, are they going to need international signing money for him that they've been giving away? Because we're kind of this week, again, with the idea of, well, we didn't see anybody out there we needed, so what's the point in holding on to the money? Some people buy that, some people don't. Some people think it's cheap. Some people think it's prudent. We've moved on from it. But do you need that money now? Can the people that said, well, you shouldn't have given up that money, do you need it? Because I remember that when... Otani came out and the Angels went after him. Bonus pool money was a factor. So I had to, I had to look this all up. I, I, I really, and, you know, I don't think anybody gets the entire thing. But remember, if you're from the Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan, they have an agreement with Major League Baseball with this posting system that allows them to post players. And then, and, and the guy normally requested and he could be denied. So, you could you can post a guy and then a fee is going to be paid. So there's a certain amount of money that you have to post. And it used to be that only one team could get the post and then it was like exclusive. Now there's like a price and everybody can post. So like seven or eight teams can say, we want to do this. And if we sign him, this is the amount of money that goes. And then there's an additional amount of money depending on how much you sign him for. So first, the thing is you have to say, we're willing to pay this money. The White Sox should do that. You got to kick the tires. You got to see if you can make this deal. We're going to get into why in a second. The other thing, though, is do you have to use that international signing bonus money? You would have to use it if he was not 27 years old because the cutoff's at 25. And also, he has to have played seven years in the Japanese Baseball League for you to not have to use it. And he started playing when he was 18 or something like that, or 17 years old. I'll bring up his stats here. So now the White Sox don't have to use the bonus pool money. Yeah, 18 years old he started. So he's been playing professional baseball in Japan long enough. So because of that, you don't need to use bonus pool money. So now you can just try to sign this guy. So what kind of guy is he? Well, he's the kind of guy that between 2010 when he was 18 years old and last season in 2019, went out and put up a career OPS of 907. His best year was in year 24 when he had an over 1,100 OPS. He also had 44 home runs that year. But in the three following years, 28, 38, and 29, his glove is not expected to be that great. He is a corner outfielder, first base DH guy. That's what he is. He is left-handed, though. And let's not forget, the White Sox are drooling over the idea of getting some left-handed bats. You know, what I, you know what I would think this guy is if everything goes well for him, at least at the plate? He's pretty much comparable to another guy that we've talked about that's on the low end for the White Sox, like a Corey Dickerson. Because I don't think that 44 home run season when he was, when he was 24 years old in 2016 is coming to America. I think it's far more likely the 24 home run season that he had last year is probably your best bet. Somewhere in there, the right at 900 OPS. Do you kick the tires? Yes. Is it, if it's worth the money, do you go get him? Yeah, if he makes sense for you. You controllable, he's 27, he might do well. 
Do you consider him to be one of the top possibilities for you? No. He doesn't get up at the top of my list for outfield or DH that we can go out and get. He's a left-handed bat, though, and don't be surprised if the White Sox go out and say, we're going to go get this guy, start figuring out how to pronounce his name. Hey, this is Acoustic Mike from Broadcast Basement, and you're listening to Socks in the Basement with Chris and his buddy Dave. I did the Broadcast Basement with Chris for 10 years, and nobody gave me a show. I'd leave if I had anything else to do with my life. Remember, the Broadcast Basement is available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BroadcastBasement.com. And finally, speaking of signings, and these aren't really signings, but the Chicago White Sox have to add some guys to their 40-man roster. This show comes out on a Wednesday. It just happens to be the deadline day where later on we're going to find out who the White Sox are going to protect on the 40-man roster from the Rule 5 draft. Now, remember, if a team grabs a player in the Rule 5 draft, they have to use them or place them on like an injured list so that they can kind of hold on to them or they have to return them. So in reality, the guys that could be grabbed up are most likely guys that a team would sit there and say, well, we can we can kind of deal with him during the major league season next year. Yeah, we'll put him on the roster. We don't have anything to play for. Like lower end teams are going to go after guys like that, or they go after like guys that are pitchers and they go, we could throw this guy into the bullpen. We'll give him a tryout. What's the worst that could happen? If not, we return him back to the White Sox. So there are some guys that are in the White Sox organization that teams may try to grab up. The Sox cleared room, and we've talked about this on previous episodes. They were down to 32 on their 40-man roster. They re-signed Abreu. There are 33 as of the moment that we're doing this show. That's seven open spots. There is a consensus, almost, of the seven guys that the White Sox could and should protect. Guys that are at risk of being claimed. And we've heard these names before. Zach Birdie, hard-throwing right-handed pitcher. Somebody might say we're going to put him in our bullpen and we're going to go with the growing pains because we can snatch him from the White Sox. Dane Dunning just started throwing this week after the last surgery. He's still a guy, even though he'll be older when he gets here, that could be a contributor. Might even be a guy that challenges for a spot in the rotation down the line. Jimmy Lambert, right-handed pitcher, bit on this show before. You probably want to make sure that he's protected. Right-handed pitcher Alec Hansen, left-handed pitcher Bernardo Flores, Blake Rutherford. Remember when he used to be like a top 100 prospect on the MLB pipeline? He's not anymore. He's almost out of the top 10 just in the White Sox organization. And only their top four are on the pipeline right now. And Yerman Mercedes. And Yerman, Yerman's an interesting case because he's more of a hitter than he is anything else. These are the seven guys that if the Sox decide to use up all seven spots, that you would expect to get protected. And if this happens, the Sox will bring their 40-man to 40. They won't have any wiggle room, which means that if they decide to make a signing, somebody's getting released as the signing is happening. They won't be able to make a selection in the Rule 5 draft either because they will have been at 40 when this happens, when this deadline happens. The Sox might keep one spot open. What if a guy becomes available in the Rule 5? And you made yourself at 40 during this deadline day. And now you can't even go after the guy. So I don't expect the Sox to do all seven. One of those guys isn't making it on there. And if they get plucked, they get plucked. 
Because what the Sox are saying is, you know, you just, you're not good enough. And that's okay. We've talked about this. We talked about this last year. You want to get to the point where you're making some hard decisions. Of those names that I mentioned, I'm not sure if every single one of them is going to eventually be a member of the White Sox. I will tell you this, though, you probably protect Blake Rutherford. Because if you don't protect Blake Rutherford, you better have shopped into everybody to try to pick something up before you before you didn't protect him. And if you're worried about Madrigal and Robert and some of the other guys, they haven't been in the minors long enough to be eligible to be plucked in the Rule 5. So they're not even on the 40-man roster. But remember this. There's going to be additions still to this roster. So if you do fill up your roster, that means other guys are getting dumped later on. And it might be one of these guys where they try to sneak them through waivers. It also might be a guy that's already sitting on your roster. There are plenty of guys that could get dumped. It might be guys you decide the non-tender. It might be guys that you trade. It'll be very interesting to see where they're at. I think there'll be a 38-39 on their on their 40-man roster. I don't think all seven of those guys get protected. When it happens, shortly thereafter, I intend to speak with James Fox and kind of get his assessment as he covers a lot of the minor leagues, and he's been doing a lot more of that with future sacks. So I want to make sure that we get him on here. He'll either be on next week's show, or we might do a special this weekend. We did a special last weekend. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. Chris Zwick from Yahoo Sports, BBWAA member, was on last week's show, and then I put the entire interview, a much longer version of it, out on Saturday for those that are subscribed. And remember, subscribing's free, so anybody can go out and listen to that thing. It's best to be subscribed so you don't miss any sacks in the basement. It's best to be subscribed so that when Dave gets back next week, you can listen to him complain about anything that I said here today and tell me none of it matters because they're never going to spend any money and blah, blah, blah. The other thing is the fact that we are uh, very, very close to announcing a little addition to our Socks in the Basement family, and so hopefully we'll have that announcement for you next week as well. It's lonely doing the show without Dave, but I think we've learned a few things today. We've learned that Phil Rogers annoys me, and I didn't even know he annoyed me until this week. I'll end with a couple predictions. I predict the White Sox will post for our new Japanese left-handed friend that'll most likely fill a corner outfield or DH spot. I don't think they're going to get him, but maybe they will. I just hope they don't overvalue him. I do not believe Paul Canerco is going to make it into the Hall of Fame. And as much as I love Paul Canerco, I can understand the argument that he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Will I root for him as a fan? Of course I will. If I had a vote, I'd vote for him. I'd vote for him as a fan. And I think the Sox protect five, maybe six. No way they fill up the 40. They're going to want some flexibility just in case for the Rule 5 draft. Full show back next week. This is Socks in the Basement. Found everywhere podcasts can be found. And always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.